is Off Script with Trish Close. Intimate interviews and conversations with interesting people. And in front of my mic today is Brie Boskov. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. And you are a master of wine. Yes, I am. Okay. So we're going to talk about what that means exactly because um, it's a big deal. <laughs> right? I guess within the wine industry, it's one I of think the so. highest. Yeah. Like wine, wine nerds everywhere. When they see, like, hear master of wine, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's what every, I guess, every wine geek kind of inspires, <laughs> you know, aspires to be. Yeah. I'm, and I'm not calling you a wine geek per se, but um, so I always start off these with, uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Brisbane in Australia. Okay. And yeah. you, uh, you and I were actually chatting yesterday. You left at 18. Yeah. So, well, it was actually 19, almost 19. I, yeah, took off as many Australians do mm-hmm. on our sort of gap year. Um, and yeah, to travel the world, you know, a lot of Australians go to London first. Uh, I was obsessed with Canada Hmm. and yeah, old growth trees and green and, you know, possibly everything that Australia isn't. Right. (laughs) So where, where in Australia is this where you grew up? So Brisbane is about halfway up the East coast. It's just South of Cairns. Well, just South. It's about three day drive South of Cairns. Okay. Yeah. It's literally smack bang in the middle of the East coast. So I grew up, uh, close to the world's largest sand island, Fraser Island, and okay. lived on Moreton Bay and, yeah, had a very, you know, outdoorsy upbringing, on, always on the beach and mm-hmm. always playing sport. And I was going to ask, you grew up, like, near water, near the ocean. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So what was your childhood like? It was just, you know, an, an average, you know, middle-class childhood, you know? Mm-hmm. I played with the kids on our street and... Uh, played a lot of sport, you know, that's that's kind of what uh, Aussies do. Okay. Sports? <laughs> sports, lots of sports. I swam, I, you know, did lifesaving, I did tennis and netball and... Okay, wait, what's netball? Uh, netball is an, a very strange Australian <laughs> form of basketball that only girls play. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. There's, like, mixed netball, like, you play indoor mixed netball and things like that. Okay. But it's... Um, it's a ball sport, like basketball, but you can't run with the ball, so you can't travel with it. Once you get the ball, you have to stop. So in oh. yeah, in our um, you know, as we age, we realize that that sport really screwed up our knees. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I actually would maybe good be good at netball because I'm not a very good dribbler. Yeah, see, you'd so be perfect. If at you're it. not a good dribbler, and there's a hoop. There's a hoop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Netball. Were yeah. you good at it? Uh, you know, I was, I wasn't great at mm-hmm. it. I was, I was a better swimmer than I was, okay. you know, netball, but I played it my entire, you know, high school years and, you know, yeah, it was a mm-hmm. great team sport. So what were you like in high school then? Was it still a lot of sports and very typical? Uh, a lot of sports, but in high school I tended to get into more the theater and drama. Oh, you're a theater nerd. Mm, yeah. You're in good company, because yeah. I, I was too. Loved theater. And, yeah, where did the theater take you? Um, here. <laughs> well, it's one In of front those, of a mic. Yeah, yeah, in front of a microphone. Um, it was something that I oh, I loved being on stage as a, as a young child. <laughs> I was that look at me kid, yeah. you know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, theater was a, is a huge love of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. I loved, I don't know. I loved exploring characters mm-hmm. and, and that role play and mm-hmm. 
that was a lot of fun for me and you still if you give me a microphone around karaoke or something you, it's a big big regret yeah really yeah are you a big karaoke fan I try to stay away from it <laughs> what's your go-to karaoke song oh boy I tend to like Bjork and things like that like really yeah that's hard I'm um son of a preacher man, Dusty Springfield. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I've somewhat perfected it in the car. But after <laughs> after like maybe a couple glasses of wine, I think I sound awesome. Yes. yes. As does everybody. We that's, all think we sound great. That's my problem as well. Okay, so you <laughs> left you left Australia and that's as you were saying, it's kind of a thing when you're 18, 19, you leave to leave just to go explore. Yeah, we we all take generally what's called a gap year and mm -hmm. we travel travel the world and you know mo most of us go back to the mother country and you know spend our two-year uh, visa that work visa that we get in mm -hmm. London uh, which is what most of my friends did and and I just went to North America so okay. I got the year in Canada which yeah was I guess a little by design in that I knew that the film industry was quite large there mm -hmm. and you know when I went over there it was 97 and um, yeah, you know, it was Hollywood North at the time there. So there was really? a lot of filming going on and there was just a lot of opportunity for me to get involved in that in that mm -hmm. world. And that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, to be honest, I, you know, I was 19. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. We don't really know a lot. We think we know a lot at 19. But... Yeah. You know, I wish I was one of those people who, you know, had this burning desire and knew exactly what I wanted to do. But mm -hmm. I'm, a, I don't know, a constant explorer of whatever takes my fancy. And okay. I, so did you, um, did you have any jobs while in Canada, like acting jobs while you were there? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's how I got into the wine industry as well. But acting jobs, um, obviously a lot of, you know, extra work. Mm -hmm. um, but we did, uh, well, I was in uh, Romeo Must Die. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. And As uh, an extra? Uh, I actually ended up getting a couple of little roles in there, so nice. yeah, I got moved around a bit within the extra world, but then ended up getting like small roles like okay. croupier and you know. So if I watch, I'm gonna see you. Pro possibly, okay. yeah. I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching <laughs> Romeo Must Die tonight. I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. The croupier scenes in the casino. There's like dance scenes as well. It's. Are you a dancer too? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> No. <laughs> I did jazz as a kid. Nice. You know, I, I thought I was a great dancer. <laughs> of course. Of course. So so you acted a little bit and then tell me how that got you into wine the wine industry. Well, like many in Vancouver at the time and I guess many actors everywhere, mm -hmm. um, I became, you know, a waitress with a corkscrew. Yep. And uh Yep. Yeah, I and you know, I was very fortunate to fall into a restaurant where it was fine dining, but it was Pacific Northwest fine dining, you know, so it was a lot of, you know, fresh seafood and things like that. Um, and there was a huge wine list that was very international. And we had a wine director uh, who was very engaging. And uh, she was starting down the master of wine path. But in the process of that, you know, she would bring into the restaurant winemakers from Austria, you know, mm -hmm. Willie Cracker and and all of these amazing, fascinating people that we would come in and taste the wines with them and hear their life stories and, you know, just get this little mm -hmm. piece of culture. And Yeah. 
Well, there is something about wine that's very romantic. It's just, it's, it's old grape juice. And mm-hmm. there's just something so, you know what I mean? There's something so um, beautiful about it. And it's been, you know, we've been drinking wine forever. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the the oldest beverage, mm-hmm. you know, next to beer, I guess. And yeah. yeah but. So was it something that you, just being there in this world, it just captivated you and, and you were just like, oh, I this is what I want to do? Yeah, I just fell down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's once you scratch the surface on it, there's so much depth to it. I've never found a subject that has, and I'm sure there's others out there, sure. but, you know, it's constantly changing. Every mm-hmm. year is different. Every country is different. Mm-hmm. The cultural changes that you see happening within a region's wine world, whether it's because of, you know, religion or war or, you know, it's it really is a human beverage, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the beverage of humanity, and that's right. just fascinating for me. And Every time it. I watch an episode of Game of Thrones, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like... <laughs> We need to open some wine and watch Game of Thrones <laughs> at the same time because that's just what that's what you do. But I think even what's fascinating is I don't know, I know a little bit about wine, like just the very tip of the iceberg. And even at the judges forum that was in Ashland, I'm looking at some of these varietals and things I've never even heard of before. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's always there's always something to learn that surrounds wine. Yeah, there, it's constant learning and you know, I guess in the new world, um, we get hung up on varietals and varietal mm-hmm. labeling and mm-hmm. things like that. But you know, w- what I love to discover more is is in you know Europe and the old world where you know I don't know what these varieties are, and it you know they're sort of an enigma, and you just have to either appreciate them or not. But there's there's so much culture in in mm-hmm. a single glass of wine and where those grapes how they came to be in that glass. Yeah. Well, and so sommelier came first. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. that's usually how it goes. And so for people who have no idea what we're talking about, because, you know, I even in our newsroom, I'll say something about being a sommelier and they're like, uh, what, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you can like break it down, like what, what does that actually mean, being a sommelier? Yeah. I, a sommelier is, is the service of wine. So the, a wine steward. I guess traditionally a sommelier was, you know, someone who sourced the wines for whether it was the royalty or the house mm-hmm. or, or whatever. So you have you build those relationships with the farmers or the importers, put them on the wine list, and then, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to pair them to food on the menu. But, right. you know, it's, it's how you deliver them to the consumer in the, in the restaurant setting. And it's a little bit of etiquette, too, with, with wine. Is that involved also? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, I guess that comes into the romance around, mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. wine. Yeah, you know, what, what type of glass you put it in. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it, there's a lot of thought that goes into how you present wine. Um, yeah. I think that's relaxing a little, mm-hmm. but from a sommelier perspective, you know, it's very traditional how you present a wine and sure. serve it and, um, yeah, you know, how you should be storing and cellaring mm-hmm. it for its health. And yeah. Right. I think a lot of people who are very strict with, I want it in this glass, mm. it seems like they're, it's a little bit of both. It's yeah. like you can relax and have it in a red solo cup with a hamburger. <laughs> but at the same time, some nights you just want, a, you want the fancy glass. Yeah. And you want it done right. I yeah, guess. it's all about circumstance and, you know, yeah, where you are. I mean, some of the most delicious wines that I've experienced have been 
you know, sitting, yeah, sitting in a vineyard or, you know, by on a beach mm-hmm. with a crisp glass of Assyrtico, you mm-hmm. know, and <laughs> in a little tumbler, you, mm-hmm. there's nothing fancy about it. Right. Um, yeah, so I think it depends on on the pomp and circumstance exactly. surrounding yeah, where you are. Totally. <laughs> and then Master of Wine came next. And that just, as you said, is just a lot of education to get that status. Yeah, so... I mean, whether you're a master sommelier or a master of wine, a master sommelier is definitely more about the service and okay. and understanding the buying and and economics of a wine list and a restaurant mm-hmm. and things like that. Whereas master of wine is um, more of a broad uh, qualification where you need to understand the viticultural aspects, the winemaking aspects, um, and economies of both. Um, and all over the world as well. And then uh, also, you know, the business side, the market trends, mm-hmm. you know, how how does how does Sweden function as a, as a wine market and how do you get your wines into that market? Um, and then also trends in, trends in wine. So the journalistic side, which is probably, I, I, you know, a lot of uh, Masters of Wines are communicators more than anything. There's a lot of educators, there's a lot of mm-hmm. communicators. Um, and so it's yeah how you you know how you approach the wine world and right. and from a global perspective so it's not it's not insular and it's not focused you know necessarily focused in one place. Well, and to put it into perspective, there are 350 masters of wine. I think there's about 370 now. Yeah, in the wor- <laughs> in the world. In the world, yeah. And there's only how many in the states? Like less For- than 50. Yeah, 40 odd. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, just to put that into perspective, because again, for those who just can't quite grasp what it actually means to be a master of wine. There's only about 50 in the United States. Yeah, we have, we're a very small, right. small band. But, you know, we, we work closely with master sommeliers mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, you know, they're about the same size as well. So uh, it's, yeah, it's the highest qualification that you can exactly achieve in the wine industry. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, definitely don't want to poo-poo it because it's just awesome. It's just an awesome title. Yeah. Um, how did you get to Oregon? How did I get to Oregon? Uh, I originally traveled back through Oregon uh, in 2014 when I was coming to North America for the Master of Wine program mm-hmm. seminar in, in San Francisco uh, and just realized that in the 10 years that it had been since I was here last, how just how much the industry had developed and mm-hmm. how exciting it was it was becoming. And so I was fortunate enough to be invited back for Oregon Pinot Camp uh, in the Willamette Valley in 2014. Which, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon Pinot Camp. It is definitely, it's probably one of the best events in the wine industry globally. That sounds it's awesome. So well organized. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows really what... Oregon is about, which is, you know, that community and collaboration. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really earnest. And I, lo- I loved every minute of it. So yeah, that was sort of how I fell in love with Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then I had the opportunity in 2017 to come and work for the Oregon Wine Board as an education consultant. Mm-hmm. And, and I jumped at that and I, I put together the Oregon Wine Symposium every year, which is in February. Mm-hmm. And I put together a lot of workshops and uh, you know, industry development for producers and, and wine growers and also do some trade seminars as well. Mm-hmm. So I love doing that. You know, I have an education background in, with the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. And so for me to get out and talk to the 
the consumer facing trade is yeah. is you know so much fun for me. So did Oregon steal your heart a little bit? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's those, you know, the old growth trees. And oh, it's the Pacific Northwest. There's something right. about this, yeah, true north that I'm, I am really mm -hmm. drawn to. And it keeps, yeah, it's like a magnet for mm -hmm. me. So There's also something I feel like we're right, you know, we're right next to the ocean. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea that you can just drive a couple hours and you can have this beautiful coast kind of right in front of you. There's something about that, too. Oh, I, the region is is absolutely stunning. You, the coast's so close. You know, you have the freshest seafood. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of obsessed with salmon as well mm -hmm. because we just don't have that back in Australia. And mm -hmm. I, I definitely got hooked working at a seafood restaurant yeah, in Vancouver. For sure. But uh, so that's, that's something that definitely brings me back. But then also, you know, you have these fabulous mountains and they're stunning and you know the forests are beautiful and mm -hmm. i'm a mountain biker so i enjoy mm -hmm. you know the downhill aspects of that not so much the climbs up <laughs> <laughs> always easier to go downhill exactly <laughs> so when a lot of people do think about wine obviously and this is a very tired old question and i get that um it's always california but we're we're changing that drastically because Oregon is becoming known for its wine and southern oregon especially but willamette valley has always been known but the whole state, really. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I think, I think probably Eric Asimov said it best when he said that you know Oregon is the most exciting place for wine in the U.S. right now, mm. and I would have to agree with that. You know, it, it's what kept me coming back. It mm -hmm. was, you know, that that dynamic collaboration, exploration of of just everything in this place. And it's it's so beautiful. And there's so many different varieties. There's so many different regions. And, you know, from my part, Oregon is such a small part of mm -hmm. the US wine production. Yeah. We produce 1%. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's so tiny. And, and yet, you know, we have these fantastic ratings and, and really beautiful wines mm. um, that, that the national market is really attached to and really excited about and wanting to explore more. And I kind of want to get more of Oregon out to the rest of the world mm -hmm. because, you know, there it there really is a sense of place in the glass and and we just need to produce a mm -hmm. little bit more. <laughs> right. And it's something it's something I feel like we we can be a little cocky about because it's mm -hmm. we have really good, amazing wine here and I just, you know, I, th I feel like it should be shared. Wine's supposed to be shared. It is, yeah. It, yeah, it's supposed to be, yeah, it's a story and it's sharing. Right, and right. Absolutely. You know, we're getting, wow, there's so many French moving here now mm -hmm. to Oregon. You mm -hmm. know, so that's something when there's Burgundians moving to really? Oregon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So Oregon Wine Experience, um, you were a judge last year for the competition. Yes. I guess, you know, it's something that has evolved in the last couple of years because um, more wines from up north are now kind of coming into this competition. And this this year's competition, 389 wines. Great. Yeah. It's incredible to me. And, I, and it's like, yeah, that 1% it is baffling to me. But what would you say about the competition last year? I know you weren't a judge this year, but what were your thoughts on the competition last year as far as the wine goes? I was just really enamored and impressed with the diversity of of the products that were there. You know, so many varieties that actually, you know, as I guess I had been here for a little while. And so 
I was excited to have such a lineup in front of me and just mm -hmm. to really taste through and see some vintage variation and, mm -hmm. and understand the different vintages that were being placed in front of me. Whereas my, my colleagues, uh, you know, I had a master of wine down from Vancouver and one from Louisiana who came up mm -hmm. and, you know, they just, they had no idea that Oregon was anything but Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris. Wow. And to see their eyes, you know, brighten at this beautiful, crisp, tart Sangiovese that was in the glass in front of them and, mm -hmm. you know, the Malbecs and Tempranillos mm -hmm. and the diversity. It was really exciting for me to see and just think, yeah, you know, sometimes we do a little disservice to a place by getting so hung up on a signature variety on one thing one yeah. thing yeah. so when you're judging all you have in front of you is just all you know is what it what's in the glass yeah yeah you're just told the vintage and the variety okay and that's it right so um you know some some areas break it down into regions so you know that you're getting a willamette valley pinot noir um and so you can judge it accordingly that way and you know, is it is it typical of the vintage? Is it typical of the variety? Is mm -hmm. it does it have a sense of place? You know, and then obviously the quality of the winemaking as well. And how many wines were in the competition last year? Do you remember? It was around three hundred. It was okay. the highest number last year, and I think they got the same. You know, or just again mm -hmm. higher this year. So, I mean. Oregon is definitely increasing in terms of right. how many people are coming here to make wine. Yeah. You know, this this is kind of the future of, of fine winemaking in it's the exciting. U.S. Yeah. So you and all the other judges, you go through every single wine. We don't go through every single wine because okay. we're broken into two groups. So one... Okay, so, I feel better. Yeah. I feel better because I just... <laughs> it, it baffles. It's still, though, 100-something wines you're tasting. Yeah, and most competitions, you know, a, a daily judging competition, you're usually judging between 100 and 120 wines. Wow. Yeah. there. I've been to competitions where they, you know, make you judge more, but... I, I feel at that point, you know, you're not giving the wines the service and attention that they need. Exactly. So. Because I know, um, obviously, you spit out the wine. Mm. and But there's still, so, there's got to be some absorption, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's more just fatigue on your palate and, on your, and on your mind as well. I mean, you don't really think of, you know, like, it's like, oh, yeah, you poor thing, wine tasting. It's so it's difficult. A, no, yeah. it's, <laughs> it seems like a lot. I mean, that seems like a very overwhelming job. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're trying to you're trying to put yourself in the in the mind of the producer mm -hmm. and and you know how they cared for these grapes, how they brought them into the cellar. Um, you know, all the while your palate is getting further laden with tannins and acid, and mm -hmm. you know, a little. You know, it's it's definitely getting some fatigue. Um, but then you know you're trying to focus on what's in the glass totally. and give it as much attention. Are there any tricks to like? clear the palate or is it I mean is there anything that judges do to well, while you're judging there's there's always a you know a cracker or a bread on the table but I that does nothing for me in fact it almost like kills my palate more really? so yeah I love my my big thing is I need sparkling water I need you know um you know a mineral mm -hmm. sparkling water that has a little bit of salt in it because salt tends to break down tannins. Oh. Um, yeah, so I like, you know, like the saltier, like French and Spanish waters that, that can come through um, at some of these judging events. And then 
I was actually judging the uh, Tech Somme International Wine Awards in in January and um, uh, with another MS and and he was obsessed with like um, meat. He'd have like roast beef and prosciutto and things like that. And I was like, wow, I've never seen that. In between like tastings? Yeah, yeah. The in between flights. So when you're just getting a little bit fatigued by the tannins, he'd be eating meat. And I was like, wow, I've never seen anyone eat meat before. And it actually really worked. So yeah, it was, it was a nice palate cleanser. So it's something salty. Something salty. See, I would ask for a basket of fries. Yes. (laughs) Give me, give me a basket of fries, please. And that's all you want to eat at lunch for sure. Sure. And I asked this question last year because it's just, it's fascinating to me. But after a weekend of judging or a day of judging wine, what do you tend to crave as far as food and drink? I mean, do you, are you just like, give me a beer, give me a margarita, give me something different? Yeah, I want something with acid and mm-hmm. yeah, something tangy. So I always, yeah, gin and tonic, margarita. Yeah. Something completely yeah. different. A completely neutral beer. You yeah. Know? And I don't want anything that's hoppy or. Right. Yeah, I want something clean and just to not assault my palate anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you've been doing how many, like, as far as judging competitions, mm-hmm. how long have you been doing that? Uh, um, about 12 years, 13 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you've been tasting wine even longer than that. Is there is there a wine that has stuck out for you? Like, oh. just, I know. Too many. <laughs> Far too many wines. Uh, um, even like a couple, like just, is there something, maybe it was the occasion too, like just some occasion where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is one of the best wines I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I love a Sirtaco from Santorini and, you know, when you're standing in Santorini and you're looking at these 300 year old vines that have been curled into baskets and you're smelling the sulfur from the still active, you know, volcano that it, you know, it's definitely a moving place and the and the wine is so is is almost just that liquid place you know it's it's a little bit raw with this you know smoky sulfury element and mm. there's so much acid and you know a, a flinty character and it's just you know superbly fresh um i i also tend to get a little obsessed about wine regions that grow, you know, varieties right on the edge of ripening. I just, I find that those places are some of the most exciting wines for me. Um, In terms of flavor development and complexity and, and then, you know, just the harsh, I think also the harshness of the climate and, you know, looking at a winemaker, like what brought you to this place where Mm -hmm. there's, you know, less than, Five hundred people, or whatever. Right, it is. right, and yeah. Well, and there's so many cool stories too of winemakers. Um, there's one in Oregon where he rescued these Tempranillo plants and planted them, and that's what started his entire winery. And yeah. just the stories of how they came to be, I mm-hmm. think, is what makes it so special too. Yeah, exactly. There's there's definitely you know this pioneering, adventurous mm-hmm. spirit in winemakers mm-hmm. and because it's not easy. No, no. And it's a tough job. It's a tough job. You know, yeah, it's long hours. There's, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're not in this industry for the money, that's for sure. Yeah. You're in it for the people and the stories and the quality of life. And Awesome. Awesome. All right, we're wrapping up, so I'm going to get to my final three questions. <laughs> Best advice you've ever been given? Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, I know my grandmother always used to tell me, Life's the adventure. Just 
live it with an open heart and wide eyes and, mm-hmm. and yeah, follow your path, you know, create your path. Awesome. I like that. If you ever left this place, Oregon, uh, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most? I think the people, you know, there's, there's great wine everywhere, but mm-hmm. it's the, it's the human spirit here. That's the generosity of spirit mm-hmm. that's in this place. There's something about Oregon and especially the people here. It, yeah. It's so true. My parents were just here from Australia and they're just, you know, and my brother has come over from Hong Kong. He's like, this doesn't feel like, you know, other parts of the U.S. Oregon is special. Mm-hmm. I really do think so. Um, and then finally, if you were ever given a last meal and a last drink, what would that be? Wow. And we have decided you can do courses. Because <laughs> a lot of people just can't. They're like, I can't make up my mind. So courses are allowed. Courses are allowed. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I would probably... I would definitely need some Fino sherry, some some tangy sherry that I would need to have with a freshly shucked oyster. Okay, I was going to say oysters probably. Yeah, just something fresh out of the sea. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there would be something about that smell and mm-hmm. yeah, the tang and that the would, brininess. The brininess that would take you back to a place, you know, so I think that would be a, you know, great experience to have. Um Probably also something, I you know, I love some of the uh, wines from the Canary Islands and and actually Menthea, you know, some tangy, mm-hmm. you know, just bright, crunchy, red-fruited, peppery Menthea as well. Um, and with some pulpo, some grilled octopus. I, yeah, I think all of my meals would be, you know. Something out rem- of the yeah, ocean. Reminders, yeah, something out of the ocean and mm-hmm. reminders of places where I've had, you know, just you know, a magical time. Right, and, right. Yeah, that take me to a place. Recreate it almost. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, well, Oregon Wine Experience is, um, you know, we're recording this, it's a couple weeks out, um, but Oregon Wine Experience is coming up. And for anybody who hasn't gone, it's just an amazing, magical event. Yeah, I, the people that, you know, the wineries and producers that are in the room that you get access to, you really mm-hmm. do get to be part of the Oregon you know, wine landscape for, yeah. for that week. And right. And you just really get to try, you know, from these tasting rooms that you may never, ever visit. Yeah. Th- I think that's the, you know, unique thing about mm-hmm. the Oregon wine experience is, you know, there's so few producers that actually are distributed outside of Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's pretty special to, to be here and to be sharing their, mm-hmm. you know, their hard work. Absolutely. With you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm stoked that you're a part of it. I think you make you make the Oregon wine experience look really good. <laughs> you do. You well, do. I love being here, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play. If you want to check out the video version of this podcast, just go to ktbl.com, click on features, and then off script. Bree, thank you so much. Bye.